Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Greetings and welcome to the Saputo's Inc. Fiscal 2022 Second Quarter Results Conference Call. During the presentation, all participants will be in a listen-only mode. Afterwards, we will conduct a question and answer session. At that time, if you would like to register for a question, please press the 1 followed by the 4 on your telephone. If you require operator assistance, please press star 0. As a reminder, this conference is being recorded Thursday, November 4, 2021. It is now my pleasure to turn the conference over to Lino Saputo, Chief Executive Officer and Chair of the Board. Please go ahead, sir. Thank you very much, Florence. Good afternoon, everyone, and thank you for joining us. Taking part in this webcast are Lino Saputo, Maxim Terrien, and Kai Bachman. Before answering questions from our analysts, Lino, Max, and Kai will provide an overview of our fiscal 2022 second quarter results and an update on our operational initiatives. Please note that if you are joining us by phone, you will not be able to see the visual component of the presentation. You must join the webcast for full access to the content. Before we begin, I, rec I remind you this webcast is being recorded and will be posted on our website along with the investor presentation we are showing. Please also note that some of the statements provided during this call are forward-looking. Such statements are based on assumptions and are subject to risks and uncertainties. We refer to our cautionary statements regarding forward-looking information in our annual report, press releases, and filings. Please treat any forward-looking information with caution, as our actual results could differ materially. We do not accept any obligation to update this information except as required under securities legislation. I'll now hand it over to Lino. Thank you, Marlene. After forging through another difficult quarter, it's clear we're still facing considerable headwinds. We continue to feel the lingering disruptions of the pandemic, and with economies reopening, we're particularly challenged with access to labor, supply chain difficulties, and inflationary pressures. This situation isn't unique to Saputo or our industry, and its impact on our second quarter performance is significant. Max will dig deeper into the details of our results and the catalysts behind the numbers we published today. After this, Kai will highlight the steps we've taken to mitigate some of these headwinds and provide an update on our global strategic plan. But before they do, I'll touch on some recent company announcements. In August, we grew our footprint once again with the acquisition of the Carolina Septic and Carolina Dairy businesses. Marking our fourth acquisition this fiscal year, we were delighted to welcome their talented teams to our roster in the U.S. By complementing our network and bringing new innovative capacity and capabilities in-house, these businesses will expand our presence into areas including aseptic formats, nutritional beverages, dairy snacking, and long-term strategic customer partnerships. We're also adding further depth of expertise to our company's board of directors. We're thrilled to welcome Olu Beck, who brings more than 30 years of experience in the consumer goods industry. Olu was CEO of Wholesome Sweeteners, and has held senior executive positions at Mars and Johnson & Johnson. Her successful track record of transformational growth and her proven leadership experience in key operational regions for Saputo, namely the US, the UK, and the EU, will bring tremendous value to our board. Moreover, as we execute our strategic growth plans, we also aim to benefit from Olu's depth of knowledge in the areas of branding and innovation. We're also pleased to announce Lynn Castonguay will officially take the lead as president and COO in the U.S. after successfully transitioning into this role over the last nine months. Furthermore, Leanne Cutts 
officially started as President and COO International and Europe on September 20th. Building on our new 2025 supply chain pledges announced in August, recently we shared our support for Pathways to Dairy Net Zero, a global dairy platform initiative aimed at accelerating climate change action in the global dairy sector. I'm passionate about this fight, and we are committed to doing our part to help transition to a net zero food system by 2050. This initiative is helping create a sustainable and equitable food system, working together with farmers, suppliers, and industry partners. With all this positive momentum propelling us forward, I strongly believe we're moving in the right direction. Battling the short-term hurdles while ensuring the long-term sustainability of our business and creating shared value for all stakeholders. Before I hand it over to Max, to provide more color on our Q2 results, I'd like to emphasize, despite the headwinds, our commitment to discipline and rigor has not wavered. We're channeling our efforts towards the elements within our control. And our global strategic plan has solidified our resolve. We stand firm in maintaining our adjusted EBITDA target of 2.125 billion by the end of fiscal 2025. In fact, we are leveraging this adversity to make us stronger. I've always been impressed by the resilience of our business and most importantly, our people. I thank them once again for their outstanding efforts during these difficult times. Their passion truly drives our success, day after day and year after year. Now to you, Max. Thanks, and uh, as Lino alluded to, the external environment is incredibly dynamic right now, and we see many of uh, these challenges persisting within our U.S. sector being impacted the most. During the second quarter, consolidated revenues were stable at $3.7 billion, while our adjusted EBITDA was at $283 million. Consolidated sales volume were stable compared to those of the second quarter of fiscal 21. Food service market segment sales volume are beginning to recover as COVID restrictions continue to be gradually lifted by governments and vaccination rates rose. This increase was offset by lower retail market segment sales volume, now more in line with historical level. COVID-related supply chain disruption had a negative impact on export sales volume in the international sector although this situation did improve in Q2 in comparison to Q1. Input costs such as transportation, fuel, consumable, and packaging increased in all of our divisions due to inflationary pressure, but mainly impacting us in North America. Pricing initiatives undertaken during the quarter lagged rising costs which continue to increase. The rollout of our pricing initiative will continue to be implemented in the back half of fiscal 22, which should further offset some of the cost pressure we are experiencing. U.S. market factors continue to impact negatively in Q2, although there was an improvement when compared to Q1. Our Canada sector continued to show improved results, benefiting from a rebound in sales volume in the food service market segment, while sales volume in the retail market segment returned to historical level. In our international sector, lower export volume due to container shortages and port inefficiency combined with reduced availability of milk in Australia der derived from intense competition for raw material negatively impacted efficiencies. In our Europe sector, overall sales are returning to historical level. This includes higher industrial market sale segment sales in the ingredient categories. Our Q2 results reflect the contribution of pricing initiative undertaken to mitigate higher input costs caused by inflation. 
Despite our best efforts to control the controllable, the magnitude of the lingering effect of the pandemic on our fiscal performance in fiscal 22 remain difficult to estimate. That said, we anticipate our upcoming third quarter to be our strongest this fiscal, but still lower than the same period last fiscal year, which included highly favorable U.S. market factors that are unlikely to reach similar levels this time around. We do not expect to see year-over-year -year improvement before the fourth quarter of fiscal 22. But as we move into the back half of fiscal 22, we expect to see benefits from our labor attraction and retention-focused efforts, price increases, and strategic initiatives. As Lino mentioned, we believe in the numerous initiative we are implementing to deliver $650 million in adjusted EBITDA growth by fiscal 25. And we stand, stand firm in maintaining our fiscal 25 adjusted EBITDA target as this is what we believe we can achieve with the asset at our disposal. Now Kai will share some measures we're deploying to ensure we progress against our plan. Thank you, Max. As mentioned, uh, labor challenges in the U.S. persist, and in response, we continue to deploy and test several initiatives, including wage adjustments, bonus referrals, and increased advertising. Labor challenges have been linked to the fact that many of the rural areas where we operate have lower vaccination rates, which can lead to higher infection rates in the community and higher absenteeism rates as well. This situation should improve with the U.S. government's vaccine mandate for companies with more than 100 employees coming into effect. Addressing labor availability is top of mind as we deploy our global strategic plan. We are currently prioritizing network optimization initiatives in those facilities where we see a stable and sustained talent pool for the longer term. We are focusing on a less is more approach. We have begun rationalizing the number of SKUs we produce thereby reducing complexity in our commercial, manufacturing, and supply chain operations. And finally, as our plan progresses, we intend to increase automation in selected facilities. I'll now move on to our pillars and provide some concrete examples of the progress we've made in the first half of this fiscal year. When it comes to strengthening our core business, we remain focused on the potential of our market-leading Cathedral City brand. In the first quarter, we entered into a long-term exclusive partnership with Hochland to expand distribution of our market-leading Cathedral City brand into Germany, starting in the fourth quarter of fiscal 22. And, and we continue to ramp up our distribution to North America. In the U.S., our new filling production lines have been up and running since the end of August, enabling us to manufacture aseptic nutritional products to be sold in the retail market segment under a partner's very well-known brand name. Also in this sector, we made progress on our simplification and skew rationalization projects as we work to reduce the number of formats we manufacture in order to increase productivity while decreasing the complexity of our commercial and supply chain activities. In Canada, as part of our e-commerce strategy, we launched Nibble, an innovative B2C platform in September. Nibble delivers curated specialty cheese boxes direct to consumers in Ontario and Quebec and we are actively working on expanding our distribution across Canada. Looking at our accelerating product innovation pillar, on the dairy alternatives front, we are well on our way. With the acquisition of UK-based Butte Island Foods, we're confident we have a great product that has been very well received by our North American food service partners during the trial phase. We are working on converting the success into sales on a global scale, including in North America and Australia. We continue to see a long runway for growth in dairy alternative cheese. We anticipate incredibly strong demand here, and we believe this will be a significant growth driver for Saputo. For dairy alternative beverages, we are focused on supporting existing players through private label and co-packing arrangements. We currently have two facilities in the U.S. that have taken on additional volumes in the second quarter, and we have just added more capacity with the opening of our pork equipment facility in Canada. When we look at the next pillar, which is to increase the value of our ingredients portfolio, we have some interesting progress to share as well. Since the acquisition of the Reedsburg facility, we have begun materializing on our ingredient strategy to enhance our portfolio in the U.S. and internationally to move up the value chain. 
As a leading goat cheese manufacturer in North America, we are now well positioned to take a leadership role in manufacturing goat whey and other niche value-added products. We've made great strides towards that goal during the first half of the fiscal year as we continue to evaluate our ingredients portfolio and develop specialized whey products to bring to market. In Europe, we have worked diligently on diversifying our dairy ingredient customer base and we have reached a more flexible business relationship pertaining to an exclusive arrangement that hampered our ability to diversify our customer and market mix. We expect the benefits to come through in the second half of this fiscal year. I'll now move on to the optimizing and enhancing operations pillar. The execution of our U.S. cheese network optimization plan has begun, and we've already made investments aimed at enhancing the production of our market-leading string cheese portfolio. In Canada, we initiated several automation projects during the second quarter, which were originally slated to begin in fiscal 23. As mentioned earlier, our new state-of-the-art fluid milk and dairy alternative beverage facility in Port Coquitlam is now open. Following a transition period, we completed the transfer production and staff from certain neighboring facilities over to the new plant. In Australia, we are accelerating continuous improvement projects aimed at maximizing our yield per liter of milk that we process. Finally, I'll touch on our Create Enablers to Fuel Investments pillar. Our global harmony deployment remains on track with the rollout with, within the remainder of our Australian operations and the subsequent phases of the implementation within our U.S. sector expected to be completed by the end of this fiscal year. In Canada, the planning for our ERP rollout is currently underway, although we may replan deployment activities based on the evolution of the COVID-19 pandemic and imperatives relative to our global strategic plan. As for the merge of our two U.S. divisions to one USA, we are making great progress as we continue to work on harmonizing our processes and procedures to maximize synergies and support our division's future growth. I'll end that note and we'll open the floor to your questions. France, uh, you'll Thank have everyone queue in, please. Thank you. If you would like to register a question, please press the 1 followed by the 4 on your telephone. You will hear a three-tone prompt to acknowledge your request. If your question has been answered and you would like to withdraw your registration, please press the 1 and the 3. And our first question is from the line of Irene Natal with RBC Capital Markets. Please go ahead. Thanks and good afternoon, everyone. Um, I guess just trying to understand how we should be thinking about the cadence of, of sort of recovery and profitability and recovery and aggregate earnings towards that, you know, the 2.125 objective. And, and I'm thinking particularly here about the U.S. You know, when we look at that Q2 margin of 4.4%, like I'm still having a hard time wrapping my mind around it, and I'm sure you are as well. So, you know, how do we think, how should we realistically think about, as I say, the cadence of recovery? I uh, 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 appreciate the question, Irene. So uh, your question is specific to the U.S., but let me talk about the other platforms and the other divisions and, and, and some of the great things that are happening there as well. Uh, our Canadian sector uh, is, has not been as impacted, although we've got some labor shortages and some inflationary costs uh, within that platform as well. Uh, the Canadian platform is one that is uh, well-balanced between retail food service and industrial sales. Uh, plus, we have our own distribution network in place uh, that, uh, in certain respects, allows us to control our own destiny. Uh, so the evolution of the, um, uh, the gain relative to the strap plan in Canada has, has not been hampered by the current circumstances that we're feeling. So if we park that one on the side, uh, things are in very good shape in Canada. Uh, I would say uh, the team in Argentina uh, has been facing all kinds of headwinds uh, from the first day that we acquired them in 2003. Uh, there has always been some inflationary pressures there relative to foreign exchange. Uh, there have always been headwinds on a political nature and on an economic nature. And our team is extremely resilient at being able to navigate through these choppy waters. Uh, so there's very little risk of them hitting the cadence uh, that we expected of them when they first rolled out their uh, strat plan. Uh, the three sectors that were challenged on the outset relative to the pandemic 
were the U.S., Australia, and the U.K. Uh, so let me talk about uh, um, the U.K. Uh, early on in the pandemic, the shift to retail uh, was a real benefit for the U.K. business. Uh, the team responded extremely well uh, to being able to fill the pipeline of orders that we had. And then coming out of the economy then, uh, they were hampered with less demand because retail started to tip off relative to year-on-year -year, uh, comparables. Uh, and we also had the challenge of the byproducts value, uh, unfortunately, uh, which was attached to a contract that was signed uh, prior uh, to our ownership. We have since gotten out of that contract and now we control our own destiny on the ingredient side. So I feel very good about that. And the team has also been able to uh, navigate well uh, with the different cycles in demand relative to what's coming at the retail level and what was uh, uh, starting to open up at the food service level. Added to that, we acquired Butte Island, which is now under their responsibility and their control. And we added Wensleydale, uh, which was a business that uh, unfortunately was a little distressed that they were able to bring back in line in, 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 uh, uh, in short order. So the UK business, we feel very good about it. And I, I'm, I'm quite optimistic uh, that uh, coming out of this year, they will hit their, their targets uh, in line with what we had uh, planned out in a four-year strat plan. So that leaves us with Australia and the U.S. Australia initially challenged uh, with the uh, lack of milk production coming from the country, which impacted our milk intake at our plant, which of course has an effect on overhead absorption uh, for the platform. Added to the issue of committing early on in the pandemic to lower market prices on their export volume, which they weren't able to export. Uh, and so we were hindered in Q1 and Q2, trying to fill those orders with the container shortages at lower prices than what we would normally sell uh, until such time that we got out of that inventory and those commitments. I will tell you that Australia has since responded extremely well. So we're out of that, uh, the pain of uh, uh, low contracted prices, getting into October with a better uh, cadence and better volume uh, on the container front on the export side. And the team has uh, done what they needed to do on the domestic front in terms of uh, taking on the inflationary cost to market. So I, 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 uh, I will tell you that Australia uh, is still on our watch list, but, but certainly off of intensive care. So the one platform I would say that uh, is still in what we would uh, deem to be in intensive care is a Cheese USA. And this is not because the initiatives aren't there or haven't been executed, but it's been hard to keep up with inflationary measures. Although we've taken price margin uh, to the market under our third COLA increase, we're still lagging uh, the inflationary percentages uh, to keep our heads above water. Added to that, uh, we're hampered with some plant uh, inefficiencies relative to lack of labor uh, and also hindered with a lack of uh, ability to get the transport where we need it, when we need it. Uh, but that doesn't mean that the team isn't working hard. The team is working diligently uh, to try to control the controllables. So this would be the platform, if I consider uh, you know, your question in terms of cadence, uh, that there is going to be a lag effect in terms of their year-on-year -year performance, that rather than having high single-digit incremental volume and EBITDA uh, as we had expected, I would say that the foundations are being built so that when the markets turn, as they turn, uh, we will have the right infrastructure and the right focus to be able to hit our numbers. And perhaps that might not happen until year two or perhaps into year three of our strat plan. Uh, but that doesn't change our focus and our resolve for this platform hitting their numbers uh, relative to the overall strat plan by 2025. 
So I'm just going to ask uh, Kai uh, if there's anything that I have omitted uh, relative to your question, uh, Irene. Yeah, thank you, Lino. Just to, to give a little bit more color, when we look at the U.S. division, uh, in terms of the cost recovery uh, initiatives, there were three rollouts that had taken place here to date, uh, and there was a lag effect which Lino talked to. We are catching up as we move into our, our next planned uh, cost recovery initiatives. When we look at the labor initiatives, we've talked a lot about labor shortages. We are ramping up our efforts. You know, we've talked about uh, wages, retention bonuses. Uh, we're looking at flexibility and scheduling. Uh, we're working with local high schools, community colleges, universities, even going to county fairs, uh, increasing our advertising, uh, signing bonuses, looking at childcare. So a lot of different initiatives to try and mitigate some of the challenges that we faced on the labor front. Uh, the Biden mandate today announced uh, COVID vaccine mandate for employers with uh, more than 100 employees. Uh, hopefully that will provide some, some relief as well. And when we look at some of the initiatives that the U.S. team has uh, tackled, we look at the SKU rationalization initiatives, they're well underway. We look at the network optimization uh, initiatives that are part of, that are longer term, medium to longer term in nature, but they're well underway. And uh, when you look at some of the supply chain challenges, uh, the team has been successful in, in getting pass-through rate increases to customers. Uh, they're now looking at pre-purchasing lanes, uh, making routing guide adjustments. So looking at different uh, levers to pull to, uh, to mitigate some of, the, some of the challenges on that front as well. So I just wanted to provide a little bit more color around some of the, some of the mitigating initiatives. That's really helpful, thank you. Just listening, to, to what you're saying, obviously, um, you know, the labor availability and the cost of labor are very significant issues. Um, with what, if you're implementing retention bonuses, wage increases, etc., presumably you're going to have to implement more. Will you? I shouldn't say presumably. Will you need to implement more significant um, price increases? Yes, uh, and that goes without saying. So even though we're into and we will be rolling out COLA 4, uh, we reserve the right moving forward uh, to continue uh, increasing relative to inflationary measures, which includes labor. So, uh, you know, we, we are providing our teams uh, the ability to have courage in their decision-making process, uh, and uh, we are encouraging them to look at all elements of their business uh, and take the necessary appropriate action and we will support them. So, yes, we reserve the right uh, to continue to increase our uh, prices uh, relative to the market conditions. And just one final one, if I may, around that. Uh, what are you seeing in terms of customer response, consumer response, and are, uh, are you in lockstep with what the rest of the industry is doing? Uh, so it's a mixed bag of what the industry is doing. Some competitors are increasing prices, others are not. Uh, but we can't uh, uh, stop ourselves from doing the right thing because we, you know, the industry isn't following. Uh, again, that's, that's the courage that we're providing our, our teams to do the right thing uh, because it's the right thing to do. Uh, and we're, you know, we're very clear about it. Right now we have more orders than we have capacity uh, to fill those orders, not because the plants don't have the infrastructure, but we just don't have the labor. And this is where we need to pick and choose our customers uh, based on uh, trading up value uh, and not just trading four quarters for a dollar. Uh, and we're very, very clear with, uh, with everyone in our system, in all our geographies, that that's what we need to do. And that's really helpful. Thank you. Our next question is from the line of Mark Petrie with CIBC. Please go ahead. Yeah, good afternoon, and thanks for all the comments so far. Um, beyond the disclosed market factors for the U.S. segment, can you please help quantify the commodity impact on your business? At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. 
To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. The, uh, well, then we need to look at it from uh, uh, global, international, and the U.S. Uh, we do have some favorability on the international front. Uh, when we would combine the, uh, the commodity and the market pricing that we see on the international front, uh, typically would be offset by the uh, negative uh, impact of the U.S. market factor. Those would be in the same ballpark figure, if that's going to help. Okay. And, and I guess looking specifically at the U.S., um, how about the byproduct market versus what you might overall expect for uh, contribution in a in a normal period. What was what was the impact of that in Q2? Well, the the overall, uh, if you will, the ingredient market in the U.S. Uh, obviously, have been favorable. Uh, that favorability uh, create a pressure on, on on the spread on the cost of milk. Uh, the overall impact to us is a negative impact. Um, so, and and as we've seen on the market right now. Uh, way uh, remains quite high, um, and that continue in within Q3, Q3 to put pressure on our spread. So the, the overall impact of both uh, is negative. Maybe Kai, you want to add something? Yeah, no. Just in terms of uh, the ingredient outlook, uh, just to provide some color, the uh, commodity prices are uh, there's a we see a positive outlook pricing. Uh, if you look at the GDT tenders and uh, sort of where commodities are going. Whether it's 80 skim milk powder, whole milk powder, all of those are uh, are looking good moving forward. So that's that's obviously going to be quite helpful for our uh, export platform, our international platform. Yeah, just one thing I, I would add, uh, Mark, in this is that uh, the gains that we're making uh, in the dairy ingredients, unfortunately, in Q2 uh, did not offset the losses in the milk price itself. Uh, so there still is a shortfall between uh, the milk price spread and the gains that we're making on our byproducts. Understood. Thank you. Um, I guess I also wanted to just ask about the, the ERP rollout or Harmony. I mean, you did have some pretty big challenges in U.S. dairy foods and I think Australia. Um, what is sort of the current net impact of that rollout uh, in those segments? Is it is it now sort of at the point where you can leverage that in dairy foods, or do you have to wait until the SCUSA rollout is complete and, and you can sort of harmonize those two together? Um, and, and then any update, I know you addressed it in your outlook, but what is the plan with regards to Canada, and should we expect that to be a headwind on Canadian profitability uh, in, uh, in the next sort of you know, 12 to 18 months? Yeah, so Mark, uh, I'll, I'll just take the general outlook for ERP first, and then maybe Max might want to complement it with, with some numbers and figures. Uh, but the ERP rollout that you're referring to in terms of dairy foods, that was, you know, in, in past fiscal years. Uh, that was, I have to say, quite painful, and we were very uh, expressive and communicative about uh, uh, the pain that we felt as we were rolling out the ERP. Uh, since that rollout, we have had uh, other geographies and other platforms that have rolled out ERP with great success. Uh, so um, if I think about the Cheese USA, we're towards the tail end of the ERP rollout, uh, which has uh, the deployment of that has gone quite well. I would say that in Australia, we're pretty well rolled out uh, without any impact at all. Um, and, and so I think we learned from some of the mistakes in terms of how we prepared our team, uh, change management mindset um, uh, after the, the, you know, the, the, the first experience with, with dairy foods. Uh, and so we, we are mindful of what it takes to roll out efficiently. So as we're thinking about uh, uh, the SAP programs moving forward, we know that it's going to be a great benefit. We know that the Maestro system has a shelf life on it, uh, and so uh, it, there's no question of whether or not we're going to continue uh, ERP. What we're asking ourselves the questions right now is what is a time frame of that? Uh, and not because we don't have confidence that we'll roll it out, but given the current context in labor shortages, we're asking ourselves the questions, would the labor be better deployed in other facets of our business as opposed to an ERP rollout. 
Uh, and we're being very transparent here that these are the questions we're asking ourselves as a management team. Uh, no decision has yet been taken, but we do need to uh, um, unlock all of the value that we have in our business without disruption and using our talent to the best of our ability to generate positive EBITDA. Uh, so all options are open at this stage, uh, Mark. I hope that answers your question. And maybe Max, talk about some numbers if you don't mind. So from an ERP initiative, um, year over year, we don't have a major impact to our uh, EBITDA, to our numbers. Uh, but when we are looking at it, uh, as, uh, considering the fact that Australia is now complete, F-22 will have the USA uh, complete. Uh, those costs are anticipated just to uh, start to slow down as, uh, as there's no deployment in those major platforms that we have. The second thing I'd like to point out also is that the, the fact that we would be completed in the U.S., this SAP uh, system is serve as an enabler to our USA One initiative aimed at maximizing um, you know, our uh, harmonized processes within our U.S. platform. So that would also serve as a plus as we, we're looking uh, forward. Okay, appreciate all of that. Uh, and then I also just wanted to follow up on the whole uh, sort of pricing commentary, and I guess specifically with regards to Canada uh, for next year, um, you know, it's being reported that the CDC is recommending a pretty large increase in the price of milk. Uh, do you anticipate any issues in passing this through? And as consumers presumably trade down, do you think that affects Saputo um, positively or, or negatively? Uh, I don't see any negative effect to that. Uh, we will roll out price increases. Uh, raw material, as you know, Mark, is the highest cost of uh, input cost that we have. So if there is going to be a milk price increase, uh, then definitely we have to roll that out uh, to the market. Uh, perhaps maybe the impact that we may see uh, in our industry relative to that is a reduction in consumption. Uh, but as you know, uh, year after year, Canada has had uh, milk price increases that have been passed on to consumers, and we see that uh, on, in many categories in the dairy space, uh, consumption continues to increase, uh, albeit on the fluid milk side, uh, there are reductions in consumption, perhaps sometimes related to pricing, maybe sometimes related to consumers switching on to other beverages. Uh, but I don't see this being any different than past milk price increases we faced before. All right. Appreciate all the comments. All the best. Thank you. Our next question is from Michael Van Els with TD Securities. Please go ahead. Hi, good afternoon. Um, you've covered quite a bit, but I, I did have some a few other questions. And I wanted to start on the price increases because there are you talked about a number of price increases through Q2. Some of them will be fully in in Q3, and then there might be more to come. And if I recall last quarter, you, you indicated that the price increases were mainly to pass on the supply chain pressures rather than the labor pressures. And I wonder if since then you've started taking price increases for labor as well, like some of the other industry participants. And you know, to what extent do you expect these price increases to cover your inflationary pressures? Yeah, Michael, it's Kai uh, speaking. So it's not only on the supply chain side, on the freight recovery side, but labor as well as the input costs that we're seeing because we're getting inflation. There are inf inflationary pr pressures as it pertains to corrugate, uh, aerosol cans, uh, all of the packaging, uh, all the key inputs. So we are looking to... Uh, to roll out cost recovery initiatives to recover all of the inflationary pressures that we're facing across all inputs, which include those three components. And where do you stand on that now? Um, is, is it, it sounded like Canada and um, and the UK were were already uh, in a good position. Is that is that the case? That's fair. That's a fair statement, uh, Mike. Uh, Canada, UK. Um, uh, we had, uh, you know, a, a, 
quite a bit of success uh, to recuperate, you know, a, a big portion of the cost increases. Uh, in the Australia uh, market, uh, price increase starts to kick in Q3 in this quarter. Uh, so the, uh, the, the the situation in the U.S. Uh, do require multiple um, price adjustment uh, for all the reasons that we, we talked to. Um, and so now the team is working on to the, the, the fourth version of our uh, price increase to kick in in Q4. So if we are looking to recover uh, all the costs, um, you know, it, it all depends on the ongoing in the inflation uh, that uh, keeps on going. Uh, but at this time, uh, that would be uh, in, into Q4 uh, with our pool on number four. So if there is no more inflation beyond where we stand right today today on some of these input costs and labor supply chain, uh, would, you, would this fourth increase in the U.S. cover where, you know, where you are now, where these costs are? Yeah, yeah correct. That, so that assumed that uh, uh, with the Q, Q4 price increase, uh, we would be covered. Okay, and that, so that would mean that the, you know, the challenges to get back on track on your strategic plan uh, in the U.S., and you talked about, you know, maybe in year two, maybe in year three, um, that has more to do with I guess volumes and uh, competitive pressures. Uh, not so much competitive pressures, Mike, but has to do more with labor. Uh, getting our uh, uh, capacity through our plants, so that when I talk about capacities, the orders that we have right now, uh, and I think I, I talked about this on the previous uh, call. Uh, normally, our historical levels of uh, order fill rates are in the 99.8 percent. Uh, we're uh, we were at 91 uh, in Q2. Uh, we're inching up. We're anywhere between 92 and 93 percent order fill rates now, but we're still a long ways away from the 99.8, 99.9 percent order fill rates. So a lot of our shortfall in the U.S. Uh, overhead absorption, uh, profitability on categories of product uh, that are value added. Uh, that has a lot to do with the labor shortage, even though we're passing on uh, our cost inflationary uh, issues to the market, uh, we cannot pass on costs related to our inefficiencies uh, or plant efficiency uh, shortfalls. Okay. And you said competition isn't as big of a factor, but you, know, we, you, you did mention the oversupply situation and, and uh, for cheese in general, I think inventories are up. Seven percent or something in September, and and then the uh, the overcapacity uh, in mozzarella. And you know, yeah, what's your outlook for that? How 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 quickly that can get absorbed? And what's what's yeah. the catalyst? So 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 my statement is that um, the demand flow is good. Uh, we just can't keep up with the orders. That, that, so that was a reference. If we were able to fill the orders. Uh, relative to what we have uh, on our POs, uh, then a lot of the uh, plant inefficiencies would be would be covered. Uh, so it's in reference to that, not so much in reference to previous year's volume, year-on-year -year, uh, uh, growth or declines. Does that All make right, sense, Michael? Yeah, that's better. Thank you. Okay. Our next question is from Peter Squar with BMO. Please go ahead. Okay, thanks. Um, I'm just trying, sorry, back on the U.S. business, and I'm just trying to understand why the business, from a financial perspective, deteriorated so badly versus the first quarter. So um, if I'm reading my numbers right, um, the U.S. segment had $96 million of EBITDA in the first quarter, that declined to 67 million of EBITDA in Q2, so quite a decline. And then, like your your dairy market factors were a lot less in Q2 than they were in Q1 versus negative effect. I think U.S. dairy market factors had a negative impact of 42 million in Q1 and a much lesser impact of 17 million. So when you combine 
like those two numbers together, it, it's a real deterioration quarter over quarter. So what's going on that things got so much worse in Q2 versus Q1? Because when I hear your whole discussion, you're talking about the same things you talked about last quarter. So, so what's caused the quarter over quarter deterioration? So I just uh, want to uh, maybe uh, correct something here uh, with regard to uh, your statement around market factors. The market factors we're disclosing are versus the prior year. So they're not versus the month or the, the quarter before. So the uh, $42 million-ish that we uh, disclosed uh, in Q1 was in relation with Q1 of last year. The 17 uh, million uh, in Q2 is in relation to Q2 last year. So it's not an improvement of 25. You, we cannot do that math. And if we would compare the, the market factor from Q2 to Q1, you would not have that big, huge improvement. Uh, in fact, it was pretty much flat. And, and, and also we, we saw an improvement at the end of the quarter. But you, that, so that, you, you cannot do that math uh, in, in in that same uh, order, if you will. The other piece is around the impact of the uh, uh, logistical transportation fuel costs. Those costs kept coming. We, uh, we, we've signaled that. And uh, in Q2, um, uh, increased, I would, I would say, exponentially. It, it continued to increase. And the, the, the price increase were not enough to cover for those increases. The net of the two was a bigger impact this quarter than in Q1. I hope this sells. Uh, that's a good explanation. Um, and then just have one other question, just to make sure I understand. So the U.S., the negative market factors were year over year, as you point out, a negative $17 million swing. but. Um, Somewhere else I saw in your press release, and I, you talked about that the block and butter price had a negative impact on EBITDA of $119 million. So I'm just not too sure how to reconcile those two numbers. Uh, the $17 million is U.S. market factors is $119 million for Saputo globally. I just didn't know how to put those two numbers together. Yeah, the $119 million is the revenue side. And really, from a revenue perspective, without having the uh, the cost of milk uh, uh, attached to it, uh, you know, it, it, it just impacts the you know the top line. So it's not a measure per se of profitability. So that's why we're calling out the U.S. market factor within our EBITDA sec uh, section because that's the true impact of the fluctuation of the butter of the block versus the milk and the ingredient price and the relation of the inventory. So the 119, uh, it's not a one-for-one one impact in our, uh, in our EBITDA or our bottom line. This is pure and strictly revenue uh, perspective. Okay, I get it. Um, that's it. Thank you. Our next question is from Vishal Shridhar with the National Bank Financial. Please go ahead. Hi, uh, thanks for taking my questions. Um, <clears throat> I was hoping to give this one a shot just because of the materiality of, of this issue, but can you give us context of the, perhaps globally, the amount of pricing that Saputo has taken um, to date? Is that something you can provide? Uh, I would say we would not provide that number. I would say that the, uh, the increase that we're seeing in uh, all of our uh, jurisdictions are being tackled through price increase. And as I mentioned, Australia, the price increase starts now in Q3. Uh, UK and Canada, you know, from a, a, a global go-to-market versus the inf uh, inflationary cost, uh, we feel good about where we stand. And the issue is more within the U.S., uh, we're not recovering. Uh, we're recovering less than 50% of the incremental cost, like much less than that. So I'll, I'll leave it at that. Okay. And um, I, I think earlier in the call it was mentioned that uh, Saputo is uh, not necessarily following the market with price increases and, it, and it's doing the right thing uh, um, as it pertains to its business. Given that Saputo's price increases may be higher than, than the industry in aggregate, um, are, are you seeing are you seeing market share losses related to that, or I, I understand you can't fill the orders currently, but are are some customers balking at these price increases? Uh, 
Uh, no, we're, we're taking those hard decisions to talk to our customers and when we tell them that we're prepared to walk away from the business, uh, sometimes they tell us, "What name your price. Uh, so listen, a, a lot of our customers are, are also challenged with their supply. Uh, and so that, you know, I, I think puts in evidence how challenging the markets are for everyone. Uh, but we have not lost market share relative to our price increases. Uh, it's a necessary thing to do, uh, and we're seeing that our customers, although uh, in some cases don't like to have the price increase, they understand uh, that it's necessary because they're feeling the same pinch. Given the rural, the, the rural locations of many of your facilities, is that placing you at a disadvantage versus your competitors with respect to obtaining labor to get uh, your, your order, uh, order fill rates up? Absolutely, and that's a, that, that is a very good question. And, and part of our strat plan will address that, either through automation in those areas or, uh, you know, in a very extreme uh, condition, uh, network optimization, which would ultimately mean plant rationalization uh, of some sort. Uh, so we have to take all of this uh, information and understand uh, what is structural in terms of change and what is temporary. Uh, and with our read on the markets, uh, we then uh, put our plan in place to make sure that we have the assets in the areas and the geographies where we can ultimately get back to the order fill rates that we're historically accustomed to. And when you look at some of the initiatives that we're pursuing from a network optimization perspective, we are looking to invest CapEx dollars in those communities and areas where we will have a, a more stable access to, uh, to labor longer term. Okay. Um, with respect to the SKU rationalizations, just changing topics here, is that a, a temporary measure um, or do you expect some of these SKUs to come back when your, um, your uh, ability to manufacture uh, improves? And what are the sales loss associated with SKU rationalization? We've, uh, the, the aggressive SKU rationalization program is taking place in the U.S., but it's not to say that we don't uh, pursue the same discipline in other geographies. Uh, in terms of the, uh, the sort of the uh, lower volume, less profitable SKUs, there's no motivation for us to return to those uh, SKUs. Uh, we do have plans as part of our strategic growth plan in terms of strengthening our core, which includes line extensions. When we look at our new product innovation pillar, there are plans to uh, launch new products uh, in terms of formats, packaging, uh, product types, and so on. That's where the focus is going to be. It's going to be on rolling out SKUs that drive profitable growth, and we're not interested in just producing SKUs just, for, uh, just, just to produce volume. Okay, and, and lastly here, just a, a quick numbers question. There was $33 million of logistics pressure in North America. Is that primarily, overwhelmingly U.S.? Absolutely, yes. Okay. Thanks a lot. Our next question is from Patricia Baker with the Scotia Cap. Please go ahead. Yeah, good afternoon, everyone. Thank you so much for taking my questions. First of all, Max, if we just follow up on uh, one of your responses to uh, Vishal, and you referenced the fact that in the U.S., uh, the pricing uh, recovery is you're, you're getting less than 50% of the incremental costs uh, in pricing. Is that a structural uh, dynamic in the U.S. Uh, market so that, you know, you would never be able to recover more than that? No, we, we, we do feel with the multiple go-to-market that uh, is being implemented in the U.S., uh, that we'll get on top of that at, at some point. Uh, so we see the, our COLA number four, which is our go-to-market number four, mm -hmm. uh, being, mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, where we, 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 we maximized, if you will, the, the cost recovery. Uh, but this, this remains subject to the ongoing devaluation, uh, not devaluation, ongoing inflation um, uh, that we're, we're seeing now. So if it gets worse, then we might need a COLA five, like, uh, to be able to capture. Mm -hmm. Okay, thank you. thank you for that, understood. And just following up on the discussion of the simplification and the skew rationalization, and that you have started uh, in the U.S., so how aggressive have you been, Kai, and 
will we expect to see the would we expect to see the impact of that uh, simplification start to show up in uh, next fiscal year, or would it come even in the back half? I believe that it'll show up in the back half because it's really helping us in terms of uh, simplifying the uh, supply chain part of our business, uh, whether it's on the off side or whether it's uh, on the warehousing side. Uh, less is more for us. So uh, those are well underway under uh, Lynn's leadership, uh, together with Carl and the group. They've been uh, very aggressive in uh, reducing those low-margin SKUs, and uh, we're already seeing the benefits of that as we move into the next quarter. Yeah, and Patricia, if I, if I could just add, you know, uh, SKU rationalization is one of many initiatives that are going on, especially in the U.S. business. And it's unfortunate, uh, but the results don't show the great things that are going on in the U.S. platform. I've had the great pleasure of, of traveling across the country. Thankfully, now I can get on a plane and get into our facilities and meet our folks uh, on the operation side. Uh, and there are so many good little things that are going on, so many little wins that, you know, I, quite frankly, I think we need to celebrate because it's, it's, it's not highlighted enough in our results. Uh, I feel very good about this transformation that we're in. Our team feels very good. And when I say our team, I'm not talking about the executive team. Our teams in the local areas feel very good about the strat plan. Having access to the CapEx allocation to invest in their infrastructure gives them great energy and great confidence that we will find solutions out of this mess. Uh, and ultimately, uh, I, I, you know, once the new equipment uh, is installed with more automation and more throughput, and less reliance on, you know, just having bodies and people uh, uh, on our pack-off lines, uh, we will be set for great, great success. So perhaps this is a moment in time that we're in right now. And it's a tough moment in time. I tell you that there, you know, there have been some, some sleepless nights, not, not just for myself, but for the entire group, uh, because we don't like to underperform. Uh, and unfortunately, that's that's what we're doing right now. We are underperforming, uh, but we I've I've got to keep the team focused on uh, controlling the controllables, the stuff that is market related, whether it's labor, transport, inflation, uh, um, you know, U.S. market factors. Nothing we can do about that other than trying to find ways to mitigate it and 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 and, and having the courage to take those decisions. But from an infrastructure perspective. Uh, I feel very, very good about where we are and where we're heading, and I believe that the entire team in the U.S. feels the same way. Okay, thank you for that, Lino. And just if, you know, listening to the opening remarks, in a manner of speaking, you kind of provided some guidance for the back half, referencing the fact that Q3 will be, uh, you know, one of the strongest quarters, but it will be below Q3 uh, of last year, and that you expect to see year-over-year improvements, not, you know, starting in Q4. So what, what, what level of confidence do you have in, in, in both of those indications and what degree of visibility do you have on that? Because if we went back three or four months and we're having a discussion, you would not have thought that Q2, uh, uh, this, this Q2 that you just reported would have been, uh, would have had the deterioration that we saw. So uh, when we look at, you know, uh, some of our uh, positive within the quarter, uh, we do expect the trend to continue from a Canadian perspective. Um, typically in Canada, Q3 is one of our uh, solid quarter, and we do expect the performance to maintain in Canada. I would, I would echo the same comment um, in, on the UK side. So we do expect uh, this business to perform better in the second half like it did um, uh, from a historical perspective. Uh, so we do expect that business uh, to generate more EBITDA in Q3 and in Q4. Uh, this would also be the this, this similar story in Australia where price increase starts to kick in. And uh, at some point, the initiative that has been worked on uh, since the beginning of the year uh, starts to uh, give some uh, some benefit uh, as it relates to Argentina. Uh, no, no major up, no major down uh, from that platform is expected. Um, 
we're very satisfied with the performance we were able to generate out of Argentina, and that gives us uh, the you know the, the platform in the U.S., which is uh, you know the, the main focus. I do call out uh, that the market factor will not be a positive. Uh, last year we had uh, our record quarter in Q3, so the record quarter in, in Q3 of this fiscal is not going to happen. Uh, market factor will be negative as opposed to uh, as compared to the prior year, uh, but we're calling out that the first two quarter of this year, this first half, uh, is going to be hard to recuperate um, in the back half. So that's why we're calling it that it's going to be lower in F22 versus F21. Thank you, Max. Our next question is from Chris Lee with the Desjardins Securities. Please go ahead. Well, good afternoon. Just uh, maybe one quick follow-up here. Um, with respect to Canada, is the 8.4% um, increase in the mill cost proposed by the CDC, is that a good proxy for, for the increase in Saputo's underlying raw material costs, or are there other factors that would impact the actual increase uh, for Saputo? Uh, uh, Chris, I'm not sure I understood your question completely, but, uh, you know, 85, 80 to 85% of our cost of goods are coming from the raw material. Uh, and so whatever increase there is going to be uh, on the raw material, we need to pass that on to the market. Uh, outside of the raw material increase, uh, we definitely do have to pass on other inflationary costs, uh, which have already uh, taken effect in Canada, as Max uh, um, well explained. Uh, so uh, we have great confidence that whatever that percentage is on the milk cost, we will pass that on to the market. I hope I answered your, Chris, uh, your question, Chris. Yeah, you did. No, thanks a lot, Lino. And best of luck. Okay, great. Thank you. Our next question is a follow-up from Michael Van Elts with TD Securities. Please go ahead. Thank you. Uh, just final, finishing up on uh, the U.S. again. Uh, you, you talked about automation and network optimization strategies necessary to to help you get back to where you want to be. Uh, can you remind us of the timing of these major projects and you know, whether you've been able to accelerate them at all given the you know, tough supply chain for equipment and whatnot? Yes, so some, some of this, um, some of these initiatives have been rolled out. Uh, we saw in the month of uh, September and October uh, where we're manufacturing uh, the products uh, in those regions where the cost of raw material is more favorable than others, uh, and then focusing on uh, cut and wrap and packaging in other regions and other areas. Uh, so there are a couple of initiatives that have already taken place, uh, but those initiatives didn't require a lot of CapEx allocation. It did require some innovation. In terms, in terms of uh, our, our make and the way we package product and move it to, to, to different locations. Uh, but that was pretty well internal. Uh, the timing of the other initiatives will be a little longer, uh, only because we have to order equipment. Uh, and our equipment suppliers are also challenged with uh, labor shortages, and so the lead times are longer than uh, normal. Um, but I would suspect by um, uh, the end of calendar next year, we should start to see some benefit of some of the equipment having arrived uh, on our docks and uh, having been installed and debugged. So I would say some of the good benefit will be um, towards the end of calendar 2022. Yeah, I, I, the years are all mixed up in my head right now. With the pandemic, it's hard to tell what year was 20 and 21 and what is 22. <laughs> but 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 uh, uh, but calendar the end of calendar 2022, we should start to see some of the benefit of new equipment coming in uh, that take care of uh, automation and network optimization. Okay, and is it is it a good chunk that's coming in by the end of calendar 22, or is it the initial parts and then you've got more coming in? The following year. It, it's the initial part, and then there's more to come in 23 and 24, all the way through our 25 plan. So uh, progressively, uh, midway through next calendar year, that's when we'll start to see uh, some of the benefits rolling in. All right, perfect. Thank you. 
And Ms. Zarabia, are there no further questions at this time? You may continue with your presentation or closing remarks. We thank you for taking part in this webcast. We hope you'll join us for the presentation of our fiscal 2022 third quarter results on February 10th. Have a nice day. And that does conclude the conference call for today. We thank you all for your participation. I kindly ask that you please disconnect your lines. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.